Before we get started this morning, um, I, I just need to say that I, I finished up the sermon on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, one, I'm very proud of myself, just wanted you to know that. Um, but two, um, the sort of clips and things that we planned, Andy and I, we do that work on Tuesday, um, would not be necessarily appropriate to the context of what we've seen in our country over the last 24 hours. So I just want to own that up front. We, we put some lighthearted, funny sort of clips in the sermon today because the subject matter is, is tough. And so we wanted to sort of lighten it up from here to there. So I just wanted to say that. And I also wanted to say up front, in case there's any sort of lack of clarity around this, that as United Methodist Christians, we absolutely say no to racism, to injustice and violence in any form. And that's part of our membership vows. We fight evil and oppression in, in whatever ways they present themselves. That's who we are. And so, in case we'd forgotten that, or maybe you missed that in the United Methodist memo, there it is, okay? So, let's share in God's good word together. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God, our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth my friends, this can't go on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. The prompt is fine. Evan, read the copy, please. The copy's good. Just read it. The White House Reception Committee greeted the prime rib roast minister, and I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. <coughs> I like a do the cha-cha. Poor Evan Baxter. Many of y'all know he used to be in the news business, and uh, you know, that's like your worst fear. Like you're trying to say something, it just doesn't come out right. Maybe you've been in your home and you're trying to compliment your wife. You know what I'm talking about. It just doesn't come out right. Just not what you intended to, to say. This is one of my favorite little scenes from Bruce Almighty, where unfortunately Bruce does not use the powers of God for good, uh, but for his own self-aggrandizement. Um, we're going to talk about that. Taming the tongue. Who can do it? Who can tame the tongue? It is the smallest of our little muscles. I'm sure a physician could say there's some muscles smaller, of course. But, man, does it have power. It brings life or death, light or darkness. It can lift up or it can tear down. This tiny little tongue. James has a lot to say about that, the brother of Jesus. And so um, we continue our series. Um, we're three weeks in now. We're chapter three. And so uh, next week we'll do chapter four, and then we'll finish up with chapter five, and we'll be all the way through the book of James, just like that. And so today we come to a very difficult topic, taming the tongue. Taming the tongue. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. Um, and one of the ways that I want us to begin is to remember that in each and every chapter, James is not talking to you. He's talking to y'all to usins, to all y'all. And so when, when James speaks, when I read the book of James at home uh, in my chair, and I can go like, oh, ow, hold on. I, there's no way. Like, I cannot do this. It's way too hard. And of course it is. It's way too hard to do on your own. But we're not supposed to do it on our own. We do it with each other. 
right? This is, the Christian life is something, it's a team sport, friends. And that's why uh, Find Your Place is so important. That when we do life together, we do it together. Because we don't see each other clearly, do we? We don't, we don't see ourselves clearly. We need somebody else to say, hey, uh, do, you, do you see this? This is the reality uh, about you and about me and about us and our small group and our church and our, and our life. This is the way it really is. So James speaks not to random individuals, but to the Christian community, specifically the community in 49 AD, which is roughly 16 years after Jesus has died on the cross uh, for all the world and not just the Jewish folks, they used to think they were God's chosen people alone, and that was true until Jesus. And then Jesus opens that all up, and he says, no, 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 God loves the what? Yes, come on, you guys know this. The, the world, right? Everyone. Whew, this is going to be harder than I thought. Okay, so James is speaking to all of us about living together, right, in community and what's possible. Now, James believes in ways that many of us did not grow up believing Uh, because of a a strong Western individualistic Martin Luther influence, James believes this, that complete consistency in following Jesus is a slow and often painful process throughout our life. That's what James believes. This is the brother of Jesus, right? So you can't get any closer. But this is what James believes all the way through his book, through his letter to this early church. This is what he believes. Now, our founder in in Methodism, John Wesley, uh, also heavily influenced by Luther and the early church both, and so that's kind of how you see our theology roll out as Methodists, um, both the early church and the Protestant reformers. Um, John Wesley would say that when you're baptized at your conversion, uh, you may experience something known as justifying grace um, to where you're saved, uh, but you still have work to do. Um, there's a provenient grace that goes before that, that prepares you for that moment to say yes to God. And then there's this sanctifying grace where we look more and more and more like Christ. And so one of the things that John Wesley would say is sometimes when people are baptized or they come to know the Lord, that justification and sanctification happen all at once, but it's very, very rare, okay? That sometimes people live like the devil all the way, nothing good that we could tell of before, and then they meet Jesus, and then everything flips, and it's lived out perfectly. It's very, very rare, but, but it's possible. Now, here's what James says. He never saw it. And as your pastor... Uh, for some of you who have nearly 20 years, I've never seen it. Never seen it. Now, if you have, I want to talk to you because I want to interview the person. I want to know what it's like, and I want to replicate it because then my job is over. Right? Because if I can just put some magic jelly on you, you're good. I'm, then I'm good. Then my whole job changes. There's no reason for anything else. I don't have to do Bible study. I don't have to live right. I'm just going to sprinkle you, and then you're good. That'd be awesome. But that's not the truth. That's not the reality. What I find is that I meet people, and some of the things they do are pretty horrible. Um, And the way they've lived is really destructive. But there's also parts of them that are all right. Uh, Even maybe things that they've gotten their life better and stronger than I do. And then they come to know Christ. And many of the things they've struggled with for their whole life get a lot better. They have power and community around them. And they actually start to track in a a way that's that's wonderful and, and redeemable. And you can actually see it. But they've still got a long ways to go. Have any of you all seen somebody who lived a perfectly horrible life, met Jesus, and lived a perfectly perfect life after that? Any hands? Anybody? Uh, Yeah, me either. And so that's why James is so important. And that's why we have to get past this fantasy that somehow uh, when you meet Jesus, everything is perfect and easy. It's not. It takes our greatest effort. And James knew this. And so it's a slow process for most of us, and it's a painful process. The pain points in our lives are actually the places that C.S. Lewis says is God's megaphone to help us grow, to help us pay attention, go, hey, there's something there. I'm not trying to punish you. I'm trying to help you pay attention. 
right? And any of you all who have ever had uh, debilitating back pain uh, or stomach pain or whatever, you know this to be true. You're like, oh, I can no longer eat Flaming Hot Cheetos at midnight. I still do it, but, I mean, you're not supposed to, right? So James says it like this. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. Uh, and this is me, so I'm just owning it up front. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths, James says. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control life. In perfect control of life. Now, why does he say this? Because our speech merely reveals who we really are. And so I, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm not a perfect teacher, and I have a lot of responsibility. Uh, I'm judged very strictly about what I share with you. It needs to be true. It needs to be honest. It needs to be authentic. It needs to be helpful to you. Um, I need to tell you what God wants me to tell you, not just what I might want you to think. It's important that whoever speaks from uh, this chancel speaks God's word to you, what God wants you to know. And, what God, and that's our prayer, that whatever I say, somehow the Holy Spirit jumps in between me and you and makes it right for you. And that happens all the time. People come up to me after services and they'll say, wow, that sermon was so great. You know, when you said blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I didn't say that. But that's what they heard and that's what they needed. I thank God for it. So it's not, it's not about my teaching. It's about God. And, and, and we, we all stand up here with fear. And we're, we're afraid oftentimes that what we'll say might be uh, misunderstood. So with that caveat, uh, let me say this. Our speech reveals who we really are. And I'm going to say something I know absolutely may be on somebody's last nerve, so forgive me up front. That's not my intent. My intent is to, to speak truth to people who are in a difficult situation that they need to know this. Sometimes people will come to me and they will say to me, um, Pastor Mark, I, you know, it, it's okay. It's okay. He doesn't ever say those things except when he's drinking. He's just a mean drunk. And I want you to know what I say to them if you're in this spot. There's no such thing as a mean drunk. They're mean people. And their meanness is revealed when they're drunk because their inhibition is lowered. That's what alcohol does. It lowers your inhibition so you can see what's really there. It means they can't cover it as well. When we work with abusers, abusers abuse, and they use alcohol as a way to try to cover it. Not true. They abuse in ways that are, are secret, and they choose their time and their place and, and the places on their victims so that other people won't see it readily. Does that make sense? You need to understand this. And if you're in one of those situations, we want to help you. We want you to get you out of that. Don't believe that lie. Our words reveal who we are. Say that with me. Our words reveal who we are. They really do. And for all of us, all of us make many mistakes, myself included. Okay? All of us do. We all do. And so James says, because this is true, particularly for those of us who speak, a bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. We got any horse people? Got some horsey people? We know we do, right? Is this true? Yes, that's why you have the reins, you, right? The bit makes the horse's head turn, and the body follows. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. I will also let you know uh, that two rudders on the back of a catamaran on vacation uh, in the hands of a not-so-skilled um, person also works. That would be me this summer. Work just fine, right? It's awesome. You have this big boat and two little rudders. You just you barely move it, and whoosh, it's awesome. It's, it's true. It's axiomatic. This is how it works. And then he says this, and this is a little more painful. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. This little tiny muscle that we use, we can either be for blessing or cursing, for lifting up or tearing down, to bring light in the world or darkness. I want you to think about the things you say. And, and not just to others. What, what do you say to yourself? It's really important. 
And it may seem innocuous to you. It may be of no big deal. You may be working on something. I've done this for sure. Uh, Many of you know I'm not very handy. um, And I'll be trying to fix something or work something or change a light. And and I'll think to myself, you idiot. You're such an idiot. And I want you to know that that's devastating. I'm not an idiot. Well, depends on who you ask. But for me, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I'm just, I'm just sometimes uninformed or I'm untrained. And many of the things that I feel bad about are simply because I have no training in them. I haven't learned how to do it yet. That doesn't make me an idiot. Does it make sense? It's important what you say to yourself. Um, uh, we, we were at training this week as a staff, um, and the founder, not the founder, but one of the leaders of Facebook said she was on a playground one day, and she heard uh, this mom um, lean down and, and tell her daughter on the playground, look, 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 um, you know, you're being bossy. You, don't be bossy. Nobody likes that. And um, Cheryl Sandberg comes up to the little girl and she says, hold on a minute. Mom, daughter, you know what I see in you? Executive leadership. Executive leadership. How awesome is that? You see, it's important the words that we say, the words that bless and not curse, words that lift up and not tear down. And this is why. Because our thoughts become our what? Words. And those words become our actions and our actions become our habits and our habits become our life. And this is where it gets really important and interesting for me, friends. I want to remind you, there's nothing in Scripture that says when you die, anything changes about your character. So what you think about today becomes your words tomorrow, and what your words today become your actions tomorrow, and your actions today and tomorrow become your habits, and those habits become your life. And then you die. And at the end of your life, your character is set. Now, I pray and I hope that Jesus comes in and transforms that character, but there's nothing in the Bible that tells us that's the way it happens. It's not. We're supposed to be sober about the way we live in this life because that's what we carry into the next life. And so it's really important who that is, who we become. It's not so, more, so important what we do, it's who we become. It's not whether we're a success or not, it's our, what is our character and what do we carry that for all time, for all eternity. And James gets really, really pointed about this. He says it only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world. True harmony to chaos. Turn harmony to chaos. Throw mud on a reputation. Send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke from the pit of hell. Now, I will remind you that I wrote this on Tuesday. So whatever correlation you want to make throughout the rest of the week is yours to make. Um, But this is what James said 2,000 years ago, and it's very important today. It's very important today, the words we speak. For all of us. Or the words we don't speak. So say it with me. It only takes a spark to set off a forest fire. Is that true? Absolutely true. Um, I learned this uh, the hard way. Um, Those of you who know me well, uh, my favorite holiday is, anybody know? Fourth of July. Thank you, all my good peeps. Fourth of July. Uh, Christmas Eve is beautiful. I'm working. Easter, awesome. We take like six weeks to prepare. Still working. Fourth of July, preacher holiday. It's awesome. It's awesome. No services. I'm, I'm, you know, having friends around, blowing stuff up. It's awesome right? So on the 4th of July, this was our, um, really our second 4th of July at Minko, Oklahoma. Uh, I get to wear my flag tie. John Markey's there about one. These are uh, Chris and Kevin and their spouses uh, who are in our wedding, our best man and groomsmen. Great. Just wonderful time. They come out to the parsonage and the parsonage was awesome at Minko. Sat on about two acres, uh, so much so that we called it the foster one hole. You could start in the backyard and put around to the front yard. It wasn't a very good course, but it was fun. But you'll notice in 
like for a quarter mile in the front yard, there was a wheat field. And by July, they had turned it over with a disc, and so it was all dirt. And on the back of our house was another wheat field, um, acres and acres and acres of wheat field, but it, they had been turned over. And so it's just a bunch of dirt. And so I'm thinking, fireworks, fireworks. But do you, do you notice this house all the way down here? Not close to my house at all. There's another house that was right there, about a, an acre away. And those two houses were the closest ones to us, but they were, I mean, at least a block away. And so I was like, sweet, this is going to be awesome. And so we had little kids, and, and we got everybody together. So at night, we started lighting fireworks off the, you know, the driveway at the Parsons. Now, I would like to point out, at the very tiny size of this rocket, I mean, how far can it go? And if it is to go anywhere, it's going to go up, right? It's good, boom, it's beautiful. You know where this is going. So we gather around, and we do the little sparkler things, the little you know, fountains, and I light the rocket. The rocket goes about 8, 10, maybe 12 feet in the air. takes a hard left. Straight uses all its energy straight to my neighbor's house and lands on his wood shaker roof. I didn't burn it down. <laughs> Relax. But he was none too happy with me. Somehow, quickly, he got the rocket in hand. I don't know how he could get on his roof that fast. Or, uh, I mean, I heard it hit and go like, thunk, thunk, and I was like, oh, that's bad. And he comes at me like this in front of all my friends and their wives and my kid. And he says, hey, did you shoot this rocket at my house? And you know what I said? No. <laughs> did I lie? No, I didn't shoot it at his house. I just shot it. I wanted it to go up. It just happened to go left. Right? Now, interesting, that man never went to church. He never came to our church. And the story runs out, the first United Methodist pastor of Minko is a liar. You know? And I could have said nothing, or I could have said, I'm sorry. I could have said, oh, I'm, I'm sure that was disturbing. I had no idea. It took a hard life. I'm so, so sorry. Uh, and maybe I could have been in the right relationship. But no, I did none of those things. I just said, I panicked, right? I mean, I was scared. This guy had 30 years on me, and he was angry. He had my rocket in hand. I was caught red hand. I was like, Nope. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I didn't shoot it at your house. But all my friends heard was, no. All he heard was, no. And he was like, and he stormed up, like, no more of that. Like, okay. So, you know, I would like to think of myself as mature. Maybe you found yourself that, that whatever pops out of you at that moment is just, ah, panic. Right? And here's the bad thing. Every time I get around those guys, every 4th of July, Chantel brings it up. She's like, you remember when you lied to our neighbor? Ah! I'm still paying for it. Like every year. I don't invite those people to my house anymore. Making fun of me. Right? So why, so why do we do this? Why do we do this? It's, it's friends, sometimes the ministry of the closed mouth is a victory for the kingdom, right? Sometimes it's better just say nothing. Nothing at all. That would be wise. So why do we do this? Well, Here's what I want you to know. This, this is possible. You won't see it in the culture, but it is possible. We can give up control over what other people think of us. We can. It's very freeing. We can give up control over what other people think of us. Say that with me. We can give up control over what other people think of us. But you know how you have to do that? You have to give up impression management. Right? Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done this. I'm embarrassed to say this to you. Um, particularly when I was in my 20s and 30s in college, or if I was trying to move up, I would say this. We, I'd be telling a story. And I would say something like this. Well, you know, I don't watch much TV. But the other night on 60 Minutes, I saw ba ba ba. 
Now, you understand that how much TV I watch has nothing to do with what I was about to say. So why do I do it? Why do I throw in that extra information? Now, I don't watch TV, but when, you know, just the other night, it was just on. I walked by and I saw this thing. It was really interesting. And why do I do that? Because I want you to think better of me than I really am. I want you to think of me as more disciplined or somebody who reads more. or I don't, I don't know, maybe somebody who doesn't have a TV. I don't know what I'm trying to think. It has nothing to do. See how, see how, has any of y'all ever done that? You know you've done it. Don't lie. Right? So if that's not you, then uh, anybody go to college? Any of y'all go to college? Yeah, some of us did. Do you remember when you've taken a test and everybody's walking out and your friend says, so how'd you do? And you're nervous about it. And then the professor starts handing back papers. Boom, boom, boom. And you're afraid that somebody might actually see what you got on your test. Right? And so this is true. The most common comment before a test or after that test has been graded and given back is when they're handing it back to your neighbor, or maybe you said this to your neighbor, I hardly, oh, you did say it. I hardly studied. Now, why do we say that? Why do students say that? Because human conversation is largely an attempt not to communicate, but to convince others that we are smarter or better or more successful than you might think if we didn't educate you carefully. Isn't that true? It's impression management. We're lying. We're lying. That's what that is. And so James goes on to, to, to make this very clear. He goes all the way back and references Genesis, something that the, his hearers would have known. He says, For every species of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature, can be tamed as has been tamed by the human species. He's going back to Adam and Eve when they named all the species and they got along. But then he says, say it with me, no one can tame the tongue. A restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God, in God's image. This is nonsense. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This ought not be so. So no one can tame the tongue. Can you? Can you? Let me make it easier. Have you? Of course not. And because that's true, if we're going to hear this as a community, these words are vital. I'm sorry. Say it with me. I am sorry. And I know for many of you that's the first time you've ever said it. Right? And, and some of you are still like, I'm not, you can't make me. I'm not going to do it. Okay? I am sorry. This is the start of reconciliation for any community, for any church, for any nation, for any world. I'm sorry. And if you are fortunate enough to actually hear an I am sorry, it is important that on the other end, we also are able to respond, say it with me, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, I'll let you know that I worked for a gal, uh, a wonderful, smart, brilliant woman from Boston um, when I was at NBC. And she told me up front, she said, Mark, here's the thing. I will never say I'm sorry to you. Not once, don't expect it. I may screw up, you'll never know it. If you do know it, don't call me on it. I'm never saying I'm sorry. I was raised to never say I'm sorry. It's a sign of weakness. I'm never going to do it. Don't ask me. And if you can't handle that, you need to leave now. And I worked for her. That was my boss. And I loved her. She was awesome. But you weren't ever getting a sorry from her. You just weren't. And maybe you grew up in that home. So there's, it's hard to live into this. But here's the thing. Every once in a while, I've become brave. And, and I'll actually go to people that I care about and that I love. And I'll go to them and I'll say, look, on this thing here, I realized I didn't either know what I was doing or I was just flat wrong. I am sorry. And you know what happens to me? Probably at least 30% of the time. Huh. 
and they just leave it on me. They just absolutely leave it hanging on me. Like, I bet you are. <laughs> and then I go. Here's the thing you need to know about that. The gross, the yuck, and the cardiac arrest is on them, not on me any longer. Because it's about my character. I did what Christ asked me to do. I'm clean. I'm good. I'm free. Whatever they hold in terms of unforgiveness is theirs to hold. It's not mine anymore. So when we say I'm sorry, it's not about the response. It's about our character. And if you try to, to tie your sorries to um, actual results, you are going to be beaten down and bitter the rest of your life. What we can do is say, I'm sorry, the forgiveness is up to the other person. Then give it or not give it, it's on them. And this is why this is so important. We have to learn to do this in a community because people lie. 60% of people lie in a 10-minute conversation, and they do it two to three times. I'm going to speak for 30 minutes. I'm going to do my best not to lie to you six times. Right? People lie. They just do. They do. Now, what's interesting is women and men lie differently. Women are so nice. Women lie to make the person they're talking to feel good. They just do. Right? I ask Chantel before I leave the house every morning, hey, how do I look? She goes, you look great. Keep lying, baby. Keep lying. It's all right with me. Right? I don't always look great. Sometimes I look great. I look pretty good today. But other days, I don't look great. Right? So she lies so that I can feel good. Now, men, on the other hand, we're not so cool. Uh, we lie to make ourselves look better. Any of y'all fish? How big is that fish? My arms aren't big enough. This is a big fish, right? That, that's the we lie differently. Uh, these are studies. If you want to know more about that, you can go to the University of Massachusetts 2002 study by Robert Feldman. He was building on a 1977 study that said this, which floored me. I hope it's not true, but I think it is. We are lied to approximately 200 times a day. That's a lot of lying. People lie. Most of that's on TV, right? And, and if you were a kid like I was, and, and you really uh, thought that the, the toy in the bottom of the cereal was going to be cool, they lie. That's not, that not cool. Uh, I can remember uh, spending my life savings on a rocket that was an X-Wing Star Wars fighter. It was horrible. Just They lied about it. Every time one of those Hot Wheels tricks or one of those cars that you see that they're trying to sell for Christmas, I could never get them to do any of that, Right? And, and, of course, you know, you, you, all the weight loss stuff, you ever read the fine print? These models have nothing to do with this survey. They're lying. It's flat-out lying. And so because this is true, because people lie so much, um, this is all I have to say. I normally don't get my theological underpinnings from Dr. Evil, um, but here it is. This is what he says. You, don't, you can't even... Zip it. Zip. Look, all Ladies I'm... and gentlemen of the jury, zip it A. Number two, would you please back Look, me up? Look, I'm zippy long stockings. Ugh, I can't. When a problem comes along, you must zip it. Zip it good. Stop. You're like a child. Talking. If you just one time. Zip it. You get it? Right? Sometimes the best thing we can do is zip it. Now, James says it differently, of course. He says, do you want to be counted wise? To build a reputation for wisdom. Here's what you do. Read it with me. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. And again, three weeks running now. People may not believe what you say. They will believe what you do. They will. So live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. All right? It's the way you live, not the way you talk. 
Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. It's not. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. It's not. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better, what's the key word there? Better than others or get the better of others, things what? Fall apart. And everyone ends up at the other's throats. I wrote this on, well, James wrote this thousands of years ago. I wanted to share it with you on Tuesday. It seems appropriate given yesterday, doesn't it? Whenever you're trying to look better, things fall apart. And everyone ends up at each other's throats. So, what I want you to know is this. Taming the tongue is more than just not saying a bad word when you don't mean it. Or when you don't mean to. Right? It's also more than uh, this thing that happens so often. Have you ever ever said this or had this happen to you? Where somebody says something so mean, so mean-spirited, but true. And then what do they say after that? Just kidding. Just kidding. It's too late, isn't it? You absolutely know it's true. The damage has been done. This taming the tongue thing is more than just not saying a bad word when you don't mean to. James says it like this. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. Really, getting along with others. And friends, I mean, how many of you all on Wednesday, be honest, When you get cut off in carpool, it's on, right? In your mind, you so-and-so, don't you know I got 18 more kids to drop off, you know? No, no, no. A wise life is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results. What? Say it with me. Only, only if you do the hard work of getting along, getting along, getting along with each other. Treating each other with, say these two with me, dignity and honor. And here's the thing. we got a long way to go, don't we? We really, really do. Because if we can't treat the lady who cuts us off in carpool with dignity and honor, how in the world are we ever going to treat somebody with dignity and honor that is spitting at us, yelling at us, wanting to harm us, persecuting us, or is our enemy? you got to practice this stuff, friends. You have to practice it in small ways. With your spouse, with your children, with your community, with your small group, with the church. We practice here so we can live it out out there, right? So that we don't miss it. Say it with me. A healthy community happens only if you do the hard work of treating each other with dignity and honor. Dignity and honor. And that's everyone. Everyone. And that's what Jesus came to say. That God so loved the world which is everyone that he would treat them with dignity and honor and that included romans who had their boot on the necks of his people it included tax collectors who were doing horrible things to the people it included prostitutes it included everybody imaginable that were supposed to be outsider enemies and jesus treated every person he met with what dignity and honor and if we call him master we are to do the same but it takes practice it takes practice. People say, well, what, what do we do? When we, when we come to weekends like this, what do we do? We start training. And so I want to offer two things up to you this week. The first is this. Don't say anything negative about another person or organization for 24 hours. And I don't know what some of you are thinking. Like, well, of course we're not going to say anything negative. Like, that's just, we do that all the time. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't. I had people after the first service, before I started the second service, tell me they'd already started over three times. <laughs> right? So start the clock. If your kids call you on it, restart the clock. 
hopefully we'll get a 24-hour period through us before next week. Right? Nothing. Nothing negative about another church, about another organization, about anybody. Not, not your teacher, not your coach, not your administration, not the busing system, not your school, not your boss, not that person that works down the cubicle from you. Now, that's hard. Uh, but for us guys, this is harder. Refrain from saying anything to make us look better than we really are. Anything. This is tough for us. Let God be our justifier and our judge. And you can say, well, come on, Mark. I mean, we get this. We got it. Here's the here's thing. Last night as I was trying to figure out how to respond and trying to understand, um, I, 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 was, I was remembering uh, the life of Nelson Mandela and that he made friends with his jailer and that that jailer was on, uh, the, was on the grandstand at his inauguration because Mandela invited him there because they'd become friends because of Mandela's intentionality about loving his enemies and praying for those who persecuted him until they were, became friends in the kingdom of God. And so I, I was reading, and, and I came across this just really horrific, vitriolic post uh, by this guy, just lightening the people uh, last night. And so I, I did something I don't normally do, uh, and that's not to make me look better. I just, that's just the reality of it. But I was so curious uh, about this guy that I clicked on the link, and his, his Facebook was open. It wasn't private. Because I wanted, I wanted to know how. How does somebody get that much hate, that much just grossness in them that they would intentionally just spread that horrific evil around. And the reason I have to say this to you is because when I clicked on his link, he looked just like us. He's probably 34, beautiful wife, six-month-old kid. So I started scrolling down. First three posts, scripture memes, scriptures, claiming his faith. That cannot remain. Can't be so. We cannot bless God and curse others with the same mouth, James says. Can't happen. And it does not change the world. The only thing that changes the world is our Savior who from the cross says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he makes enemies become friends. And that's the only way the world changes, friends. And we have to know it. Our question is, will we begin to live it? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we ask for your blessing that you would transform anger into love, into grace, that we would be careful with our tongues, that we would actually hand them to you, that we would be people who bless or zip it. That's it. Bless or zip it. That we wouldn't say anything negative, we wouldn't try to lift ourselves up as over or better than anyone else that we would let you be our justifier, our Lord, and truly our Savior, that we would trust you with our lives and our future. And we ask, Lord, that you'd make it so in our lives. And we pray that the transformation would start with us in our hearts in this place, that Acts 2 would always be a safe place, a place of love and redemption, reconciliation, power and forgiveness that looks like you and you alone. It's in your mighty and wonderful name that we pray the prayer you've taught us to pray, saying... Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.